You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Phil Nelson. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. Oh, you gotta love kids. There's a Southern Gospel comedian, Aaron Wilbur, and he he created this phrase, bless their hearts, (laughs) bless their hearts. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I've watched that several times, and it gets me every time. Uh, Kids say the darnest things. Um, How many of you have kids, whether grown or still young? Yeah, um, I challenge you to have fun sometime and just ask them random questions, especially about Christmas, and see what they say. And sometimes you're so surprised because sometimes the kids, like Jesus said, you know, let the little children come to me. Out of the mouth of babes, they will speak truth. Now, it may not be all detailed and all together, but kids usually get the heart of the situation. And so the sad reality, however, when we hear stories like this, and we, we, we laugh, and, and we, we, we awe, and we sigh over the kids' very cute stories. The sad reality is most kids never grow out of their childhood faith. Let me say that again so you can understand. The understanding of children of the gospel, and especially the Christmas story, so often in so many kids' lives remains a childhood story. They don't grow out of their childhood faith and grow into a mature relationship with Jesus and a deep understanding. Last week we talked about worship and we said you have to have relationship in order to worship, relationship with the Father. But you also need understanding, understanding in what you're doing and how we're designed to worship. The same is here for our Christmas series. You can be a follower of Christ but know very little about the Christmas story and about the gospel, let alone to be able to articulate it and to communicate it to someone who doesn't believe. It's interesting. But we as followers of Christ are to grow in relationship with God, in relationship with others, but in the knowledge of God's word especially starting with the Christmas story because the Christmas story is the start to the hope that we have in Jesus. And so we've created this series called Make Room. We've simplified. You see a lot of boxes not dressed with Christmas paper, but very simple yet classy and clean packages. You've seen that we have featured the true meaning of Christmas, and every Sunday in this series, we're going to talk about how we make room for the one who made room for us. And so everything is going to be on the simple side so that you can kind of get to the heart of the matter this Christmas. We're talking about making room in your minds, making room in your hearts, making room in your schedules and families. And finally, the Jingle Jam service on the 22nd will cover making room for joy. 
making room for joy. So we're going to make room in our minds, our hearts, our schedules, and our families. And then finally, before Christmas, we're going to make room for joy. Today, we're going to make room in our minds. And I can't think of a better way to do that than just bowing our heads for a minute before God Almighty, Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace, Almighty Father God. In Romans 12, verse 2, you tell us that to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, not being conformed to the patterns of this world. And right now, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we seek you, every single person here, listening and watching. We seek you. We ask you for your wisdom. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes of our hearts and the eyes of our minds. Create a depth spiritually within us. Today, we pray in Jesus' holy name, amen. So today, we're going to make room in our minds, and I can't think of a better way to start than reading the Christmas story. So it will be on the screen with you. We're going to read it in the English Standard Version. Uh, feel free to pull out your phones, uh, pull up the Bible app. You can also pull up Elevation Community Church app, and there's a Bible app on there. If not, go ahead and uh, just follow us on the screen. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Then what we're going to do is we're going to take these seven verses and just extract some knowledge, some truth, and allow it to go deep into our understanding of what this good news of Christmas is all about. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, a census. This was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria and all went to be registered. Did you, did you notice that, that word, all? All went to be registered. That's going to come up in a little bit. Each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth. Remember that word, Nazareth. That's where they're from. To Judea, to the city of of David. This is talking about King David, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of, could you say that name for me? David. Uh, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was also with child. If you recall the Christmas story, the angel uh, Gabriel came to Mary and says, you are highly favored. You were found pure in the eyes of God, and God is going to deliver his son, his Messiah, Yeshua, the Savior of the world, in her womb spiritually, and he will be great. And we're going to get into the prophecies in just a moment. But this is preceding that encounter, and so now she is almost ready to give birth and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. I love how that video showed it. It just went pop, right? Isn't that what happens? Just wondering. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger 
because there was no place for them in the inn. So that's the Christmas story that many of us are aware of. And so now I want to look at three things that will help us deepen our understanding of the good news of Christmas. And so I believe that as we start to grasp more and more of this amazing, amazing, incredible, just phenomenal, mind-blowing stuff that happens because God loves us, like that song just said, I believe that your, your faith is going to increase this Christmas. I speak that over you and your families. And I believe that as you understand what God did for you that first Christmas, I believe you're going to continue to make him more and more a desire of your hearts. And as you make him more and more a desire of your hearts, I believe that your mind is going to be filled more and more with the truth about the gospel of good news. And as your mind is more and more filled with the gospel of good news, I believe that it's going to ooze out of you and be reflected in how you behave, how you schedule, how you prioritize, and how you react within your family. Who wants that this Christmas? I sure do. And I believe that God wants to give that to us, but we have to do our part in making room in our minds. We need to make room for him. So the first point in making room in our minds is we need to understand the setting and the surrounding circumstances. We need to understand the setting because it is very different than 2019, okay? Everything was, it was just a, it, it would be a complete culture shock for us to live in that time. It would be a complete culture shock for Joseph and Mary to come to our setting. It would be almost a completely different story, same kind of plot, but it would look different. It would look different. So I think it's important for us to understand what's going on because it can be so, so miscommunicated and taken out of context when you just read scriptures on a page and don't understand the context of what's going on. So the setting and the surrounding circumstances of Mary, Joseph, all the other characters involved, and especially the Savior of the world. Many of the circumstances here that we just read are driven politically. I think we can relate to that a little bit. But many of the things going on that played into getting Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem were driven politically. Caesar Augustus, do you know what he was called by all? He was called the divine savior, Caesar Augustus, who ruled over all, was called the divine savior who brought peace to the world. This is the time they were living in. And so any other king or savior being talked about coming into the picture brought threat to the throne of Caesar. You see where this is playing now? And isn't it amazing? I thought this was amazing that the God of all the universe, God that holds everything together, created everything for his pleasure, for his doing, the God of all, who said, by the way, and we just kind of read this a couple, couple weeks ago, said, there shall be no other gods before me. <laughs> that same God is the God who orchestrated 
his Savior, the King of our hearts, the King of the world, to come in while there was a King of the earth proclaiming to be Savior. That's just how God works because God always has the last say. I'm so grateful for that. Look at your circumstances. Aren't you grateful that God has the last say? You see, the Romans ruled by force, and they were definitely a force to be reckoned with. The stories are gruesome. They're crude. They're violent. They're bloody and gory. The Romans did not mess around. And so when they said, get your behind to your, uh, your home or your family's town, everybody got off their behinds and went. Many of them traveled hundreds of miles, sometimes a weekend, sometimes an entire week to get back to their home town. This isn't like today's society in the free country of America, which is, we are so blessed to have the freedom, but I don't believe we understand the benefits of our freedom. You know why? When the government calls a census or an election season, not everybody gets off their behind and goes and votes. Right? To be... Exact, this is a little staggering, only in 2018, only 50.6% of eligible Americans voted. So it's a little different. We're in a different culture than Mary and Joseph was when the government, the dictatorship, was not a democracy, said to get to where you belong, you move and you go. Did you notice in the scripture it said all went to their hometowns? It's because they knew that their life was on the chopping block if they did not go. So this is the surrounding sets of circumstances and setting that Mary and Joseph are in. And I think it's very important for us to understand that because we really can't relate a whole lot to that. And so we have to try to grasp some sort of understanding. And so every single person showed up, and God orchestrated every detail in all of the circumstances. Did did you know that? And as we continue to read throughout the Christmas story this month, and as you do so with your family, realize every single detail and circumstance God orchestrated for the birth of his son and for the good of all the earth. What about your circumstances? Do you think that God can work through the good, the bad, the ugly? Do you trust that God has a divine plan for your life? Mary and Joseph did, but they sure didn't understand the circumstances. I think so often we get distracted by our circumstances. And what's so, uh, I know for me, I try to fix it. I try to control things, and then they always seem to backfire and get worse. Am I the only one? (laughs) And so I think from this Christmas story, 
as we make room in our minds, we need to understand that the same God who made a way and orchestrated all the details in the cultural setting and Mary and Joseph's circumstances is the same God that is in your mess, the same God that is in your valley, the same God who is over all. I just found out yesterday, and I'm still really tender about it, but one of my friends I performed with for several years in Pennsylvania, his wife, 36 years old, got a lung, lung infection and died yesterday. And he calls me out of nowhere and says, how do you reconcile this? How do you, how do you, how do you grasp around why she had to suffer and die at 36 years old. We don't understand what happens in this fallen world, but one thing we can understand is God so loved the world that he wanted to come and be one of us so that he could pay the ultimate price. But we need to understand that God is over all your circumstances, but he cannot control how you respond. Now, you can give way to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you for all of those who believe in Jesus Christ. You can give access to him to allow his power to influence your response. But 90% of what happens to you 90% of what happens to you, excuse me, excuse me, let me, let me try this again. 10% of what happens to you, your circumstances, there's 10%. The other 90% is how you make your circumstances, how you respond and react to your circumstances. 10% is what happens to you. 90% is how you respond. And so the lesson through this Christmas story today is God orchestrates through your circumstances. And your circumstances, no matter how ugly, how desperate, how messy they are, are not a threat to the God of heaven. They're not a threat. They don't catch him by surprise. He's not a distant, disconnected God. He is an intimate God. He is acquainted with all of your grief, with all of your highs, with all of your lows, and he wants to be a part of all of them and work together for good. Romans 8, 28 says, in all things, God works together for good to those who love him and who are called to his purpose. Do you believe that this morning? Then you're going to be able this week in your mind to reconcile some of your circumstances that are out of your control are only his to control. You see, when we try to control things that aren't ours to control, we get anxiety, worry, stress, and frustration. Circumstances. How are you going to respond to the circumstances? Are you going to react in trying to fix it and control it, or are you going to react in surrendering to the God who holds it all together? You get to decide. That's the freedom of choice. So the setting and the surrounding circumstances. Number two is the proof that Jesus is the real deal. This is proof that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Luke, the writer of 
the book, Luke, in the Gospels, he's, he connected Bethlehem with King David. And King David was the king of the promise that was given to Abraham. So all the way from Abraham, God's fulfilling his promise to David and then said, through your offspring, David, I will fulfill my promise and covenant to Abraham. This is really important, especially for the Jewish culture and the Jewish believer, shall we say. This was everything. And so they were looking for a king. They were looking for someone to fulfill the prophecies. And yet, so many of them missed it. Why? Well, we're going to see that in just a minute. So Luke connected Bethlehem with David to show that Jesus does qualify for the Messiah. And if that doesn't do it for you, get this, that in the Old Testament, there are right around 300 prophecies. What's a prophecy? A prophecy is something divinely spoken through God, then through the person or the vessel of speaking for God. And a lot of times, actually most of the time, it is speaking something into existence before it even happens. Prophecy. So there's about 300 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus. And every single one of these prophecies were fulfilled by Jesus. These prophecies were about his birth, about his sinless life, about his sacrificial, substitutional death, and his resurrection. Now, let's just take eight. Take eight of the 300 prophecies. I want you to understand in your mind today of how radical and how God-sized this is. In order, not in order, the odds of Jesus fulfilling eight of the 300 prophecies is 10 to the 17th power. Now, those of you who have a mind for math and numbers, you're already like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. For those of you like me who don't understand numbers, they're like German, okay? Um, let me give you an illustration. Imagine half dollars. A half dollar is probably about this size, right? And we take as many half dollars as we can to fill the state of Texas two feet deep. Texas is a very small state. Two feet deep, half dollars, and you take one, only one half dollar, only one, and you take whatever color Sharpie you like, maybe green or red for the holiday, right? And you color one side of that half dollar, throw it in the pit of the state of Texas, and then take your mixer that covers the whole state of Texas and mix the two feet of half dollars. Then send somebody up in an airplane 11,000 feet, and have them skydive over the state of Texas. Then when that skydiver lands on the state of Texas, they bend over, pick up whatever half dollar they touch, and they find. The odds of that skydiver picking up the half dollar in the two feet uh, deep of half dollars through the state of Texas is 10 to the 17th power. The odds are astronomical. 
And yet Jesus fulfilled them all. 300 of them. We have an amazing, powerful God. And he did it for us. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus can be trusted. Now read this with that perspective. Isaiah, this is written 200 years before Jesus was born. 200 years. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his, Jesus, Emmanuel's shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor. Almighty God. The everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace. Or of peace. On the throne of David. There's that name again. And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore in 2019 and for all of eternity. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Not man, but the power and the zeal of the Lord will do that. Luke 1 Chapter 1, right before the, the chapter we just read. In verses 32 through 33, we have the priest, Zechariah, who his wife Elizabeth just gave birth to John the Baptist, which was the predecessor, the one to make room and make way for the Lamb of God who was going to be slain. This is all orchestrated by the mighty power of God. And Zechariah looks at the pregnant Mary at her womb, and he says this. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forevermore. Jacob was the father of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel and of his kingdom there will be say it with me no end so our lesson in this the God who made the covenant with Abraham thousands of years ago and all the way to David to one day bring the eternal hope and the remedy of our sin it is that very same God fills his promises through sending his one and only son, which gets us to the third and final point, the humble arrival, the most humble of arrivals. There is absolutely intention in Jesus coming the way he did, and that's why so many people missed it. Because they were looking for a royal king, authority, and power, not a small, lowly, meek, and humble baby. So let's look at that. 
Verse 7 in Luke 2. And she gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. What? You gotta be kidding me. The God who orchestrates all details missed this one detail? Surely the God of all the universe could have reserved a room for them. I mean, after all, there was a Holiday Inn Express there, and there was a place that always left the light on. Some of you got that. But there was no room. We need to understand what's going on. We need to understand what is happening here so we can understand what God is doing. Bethlehem was a tiny little place with fewer than 100 people. There were no inns. There were no hotels. They just had houses. And so an inn, with the Greek word, the Greek text, it actually translates it to upper room or guest room. So imagine with me, you have this very small hut-looking house, and you have the main living quarters where the main family sleeps, and then you have some sort of either upstairs or side very small room that they usually use for family and guests and those looking for a place to stay. It's not like our houses today. And so when they said there's no room, that means that since the census and all the people that ever were from Bethlehem were there, that means all houses with family members are full. Do you realize that until this moment of the Christmas star and the birth of Jesus, Bethlehem didn't even make it on the map? It's interesting that Jesus would humbly come to a place that's not even recognized. Most people would pass through Bethlehem. It was just a pass-through. And yet Jesus came and arrived here. The common assumption is that Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem and just happened uh, to, to get panicked by her labor pains and rush from house to house to find someone who had space and then everyone turned them away and so the last person had sympathy on them and sent them to a cave or to a manger. That's the assumption. It's not all false, but let's kind of clarify what happened here. One thing to note in Joseph's culture and Mary's culture that really has taken me back and allowed me to have a different perspective of what's going on here is nobody would ever turn Joseph or Mary away, especially because the woman, the young woman, was pregnant. That is a no-no in Jewish culture. It is all about your ancestral home. You never turn someone who is part of your tribe or your home or your village, you never turn them away. So why did they get turned away? It's because everyone else was there already. But they didn't get shoved out of Bethlehem. One of their 
ancestors, one of their family members, said, look, our guest rooms, our upper rooms are full. We really, we have no place, especially to deliver a baby. But likely, a lot of the homes had what we would consider a garage. Not 2019 garage, but a pit about 15 feet below the house. Mudded walls, mudded floors. It had some sort of back door or cellar door. This was not a place to sleep, let alone give birth to the Savior. This was a place where they kept their animals at night for a couple reasons. Number one, to keep them away from predators, to keep them from being stolen outside. And thirdly, during the cold nights, the animals 15 feet below actually created heat that kept them warm in the cold nights. So here's this small little space where Mary and Joseph had their baby, the Savior of the world. Was it a stable? Sure, you can call it a stable. It's just not what we think of a barn stable. The manger was often built into the ground of this basement floor because they had cattle and animals there. So the manger is not a barn, but a manger is a trough. Not for the Savior of the world, by the way, but for animals to eat and slop in. Talk about humble beginnings. Hmm. You would think that the king of the world would actually be able to have a Graco pack and play or something. (laughs) But yet he came in the lowest possible ways. I want us to continue to make room in our minds as we close today's message out by understanding that there is nothing special at all about the setting and the circumstances and the arrival and welcoming party for the King of Kings. There's no, nothing special about the location. You, you would think a palace would be fitting for the Savior, but 12 to 15 feet below the ground where cattle are grazing and sleeping and going to the bathroom? Yet he still came. I love that. There was no room for him, yet he still came. There was no room in Bethlehem, yet he still came. He came totally unexpected, as everyone else was expecting the Messiah, the King of Kings, to come. Do you realize that he was wrapped in swaddling clothes? Do you know what that means? They're just scraps and pieces of cloth, the cheapest kind of material that you can find. So he did not come entitled He wasn't even clothed and dressed in royalty. Yet he came. There seemed to be no room in all of creation that God himself created. No room. People had rejected God, sinned against God. There was no room in Bethlehem, no room in the world. No room in people's hearts. 
no room, yet Jesus still came. And as we close, the question is why? Why? Okay, sure, we understand the setting and the cultural circumstances. And sure, we understand now that Jesus is probably the real deal and he's fulfilled every single prophecy about him. But why in the world would he come? Especially in the way he did. Why? If there was no room for the Savior of the world, why did he even try to come to us when we didn't even want him to come? Why in the world would he allow his son to be prophesied about hundreds of years before as the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, rejected by man? Why would the God of the universe that sees all send his son into that? It's because of love. When Jesus came... And he started his ministry. He says, I haven't come to be served. I've come to serve. Philippians 2 says that even though he was God, he didn't count himself equal with God, a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself, became a servant, was found in human form as a baby, lived a life of obedience, even obedience to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, that's why God has exalted Jesus, Yeshua, to the highest place where every knee will bow and every tongue on earth and in heaven will proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Jesus came because God so loved that he gave. He gave. There was no room, and yet he gave. You look around in our culture today, and it just seems like there's no room for Jesus in Christmas anymore, let alone people's lives throughout the year. Yet he came for us, for you, and for me. It was love. And 1 John says it best. In chapter 4, verse 10, the New Living Translation says this. Could you read this with me, please? Ready? This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Here's the lesson with this point. Get this. The only way that Jesus could die for us was by becoming one of us. He took upon himself the full penalty of our sin, the full payment for our sins and for the disruption of the relationship that sin causes between us and the most holy God. Jesus paid it all, and it started hundreds of years before his birth. And then the fulfillment of his birth came. And now we can have hope. Though our circumstances look grim, though everything else around us are hopeless, we can have hope because the love of God will last 
forever. How do I know? Look at the Christmas story. If God could make all of that come together with the astronomical odds, he can make our lives something pretty incredible. And he wants to. But will you make room for him? Because he made room for us. That first Christmas wasn't elegant, wasn't classy, wasn't royal, but it was messy, dirty, lowly, no one expecting him. And yet, he came. As the band comes up, I just want to move towards application. As we make room in our minds this Christmas season, I want you to just think about these three things for a minute. Number one, whenever you, this Christmas, see a nativity or see any kind of picture or anything that represents Jesus' birth, I want you to remember these three things. Number one, while there was no room for Jesus, the Savior of the world, he still came for you. Number two, while we were not living our lives as we should, he still came. And lastly, while we were yet sinners, hanging Jesus on the cross with our sin, spitting in his face with our hostility and rebellion and rejection. While we were yet sinners, Christ came and died. This Christmas can be totally changed when your life, starting with your mind, going to your heart, is changed with the Savior of the world who came for you. Would you bow your heads, please? We're going to take time to worship. We did this intentionally. We, we're, we're trying something different. We want to give you time after the message to respond and worship God for who he is, Emmanuel, God with us. He's with you. He is with you. He is with you in the valley, in the storm, in the darkness, in the pit 15 feet below where the cattle lay. He is with you. When all hope seems lost, He is with you. When you find your marriage on thin ice and just broken, He is with you. When you find your job is not what you thought it is and it's crumbling in your hands, He is with you. When you lose that someone you love so close and you cannot understand or grasp with your mind why He is with you. When your strength is gone, He is with you. And when you're in your lowest of lows, in your sin that you created, He is with you. That's an amazing Savior who loves you that much. And that love, nothing will ever keep us 
from the love of God. Why don't you stay seated during this song? But would you engage with the King of Heaven and respond in your own way? Let's worship. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our weekly podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.